Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Fashion Unzipped, the new podcast from the Telegraph fashion team. It's our way to bring you in on the conversations about fashion, shopping, and beauty that we have every day on the fashion desk. Thanks for listening in. I'm Emily Cronin, Senior Fashion Editor. Joining me today are Lisa Armstrong, Head of Fashion, Caroline Leeper, Fashion Editor, and Olivia Buxton-Smith, Style Writer. This is only our third episode, but it's also the final episode of 2017. Whoa! <laughs> so we have a little end of year treat in the studio. Thank you, Olivia, for opening that up. You're very welcome. Can we pour it around the table? Pour it up. That was expertly done. Thank you, Lisa. That was so good. Was that part of your training? It was. <laughs> so should we do a little cheers to uh, to Christmas and the New Year? Cheers! Cheers! So happy almost New Year, everyone. How are you planning to ring in the new year and what are you going to wear on New Year's Eve, Olivia? I am going to be wearing um, sequins, I think, even though it's a dinner party for six people. It's going to be quite low-key and it's going to be at someone's house. Um, but I've kind of been desperate to wear sequins for the last six months. I'm yet to buy anything full sequin. I have sequin embellished things. But um, yeah, I'm going to go all out for sure. I'm Caroline and uh, we always host a fancy dress party at Elle's on New Year's Eve. The theme is always to come as something from that year. So last year I was the queen on her 90th birthday. Mm. I don't know what I'm going to be Did you wear a coat and matching dress? I did. Pearls. The bright bright green one or? It was a sky blue ensemble (laughs) with beige tights and similar old lady shoes. And um, yeah, grey wig and pearls. Those old lady shoes have been very fashionable this year. Thank you, courtesy of Celine. They have (laughs) a low block. Is very, you know, very chic. The Queen's very on point. Um, or not, she doesn't wear pointed shoes, which is very clever of her because they're so uncomfortable. I think it's so interesting the way sequins have just gone splatter this year. And what's really great about them, this is Lisa, by the way, <laughs> is that I- I've discovered um, coloured sequins, which sounds really obvious, but bef- I think this is, the, this is the year when we've really had so many coloured sequins, you know, blue green you can get them to match your eyes it's it's really fun i only ever really wore gold or silver sequins before so i've kind of splashed out and got myself a blue sequined blouse and um i shall be wearing that until july at least i love that yeah you're making me think of the pink sequined preen for lk bennett dress that we all admired over the summer yes that summer Oh, it might have been autumn. Might it was autumn. It was it, th- that came out in autumn, and then I saw it on Annie Lennox at um, at a party at Salma Hayek's because that's how I roll. So grand. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I remember saying to everyone the next day because everyone was saying, "God, what, what was Salma's house like?" And I said, "But Annie was there, and I think she was wearing L.K. Bennett, but she couldn't have been. Surely Annie, Le- Annie Lennox wouldn't be an L.K. Bennett, but it was L.K. Bennett. She it was a really great. good dress. She looked one. great. I'm going to be pretending that I'm." At, you know, at the top of the 
world in the rainbow room sipping champagne cocktails. Actually, I'm going to be at a neighbor's house, uh, someone else who has small kids, and I'm going to not dress the part. I'm going to wear kind of an iridescent blue ruched velvet tibby dress that I I recently got and um, wore completely out of context for the first time to work. So <laughs> it's a real it's a real night when clothes sort of kind of make or break the event in a way because I know a lot of people even people in their twenties saying, "Oh, I hate New Year." I, I I hate New Year personally. It's there's so much pressure. It's always been one of those evenings that that rarely lives up to its promise. But I think you can be at home just with the cat, and if you're dressed up, it feels a little bit better. It's so true. That and some after eights and, and some bubbly, and you know, yeah, what could be bad? Also, start as you mean to go on. This is how you're, you're kicking off a new year. Exactly. You want to set the tone, don't with you? With sequins. Yeah. Make sure you subscribe to the Telegraph Fashion Unzip podcast so you don't miss any of the stories that are coming up. The new Versace campaign is here, and it features, as Lisa wrote, a cross-generational array of women having fun. It stars Naomi Campbell, Christy Turlington, Giselle Bunchen, Cindy Crawford, and Crawford's teenage daughter, Kaya Gerber, who range in age from 16 to 51. But the most notable thing about the campaign may just be that the brand left Turlington's smile lines unretouched. Lisa, tell us the story. Well, it should be a non-story, shouldn't it? The fact that, you know, hey, models, lines left in. But what was interesting was that when I was shown those pictures um, a few weeks ago, unretouched by um, the Versace press office, I said, oh, I love, you know, I love, of course, they're they're amazing by um, Stephen Meisel, who's a sort of a genius. Um, I hope you leave the, the, the wrinkles in, ha, ha, ha. And the press office kind of said, yeah, we'll dream on. And lo and behold, when they came back after weeks of airbrushing, the lines were still in. So hats off to Donatella, actually, because it sounds such a trivial point, but it's big. And when a brand like Versace puts a, a little message like this out, it actually has huge reverberations, I think, in um, in the world beyond. So, uh, you know, um, I won't I won't name names, but let's see some of those big beauty brands that give you unrecognizable looking actresses. <laughs> <laughs> because they've been so airbrushed. Let, let, let's see those actresses in all their natural or semi-natural glory. But the thing that I noticed about the picture was just, just how energetic and happy she looked. And like there was nothing that they should have even thought about airbrushing at all. She was just smiling. And of course, there are natural indentations created by, you know, her cheeks yeah. lifting. Well, she's, she's absolutely wonderful. Christie, isn't she? Because she's also, as well as, I mean, she's spectacularly beautiful, but she's also, I would say, one of the few uh, women in the public eye, um, especially in the US, who have resisted. She looks as though she's resisted all invasive procedures. I mean, who knows? Don't feel that you have to have things done. Do it to please yourself. And she, she, she looks as though she's pleasing herself. She looks happy. Obviously, there's a race aspect in the Lupita Nyong um, cover for Grazia. But, um, you know, the idea that a photographer and his team or, you know, a magazine would choose to edit someone's um, kind of appearance without asking them or checking with them is kind of absurd almost. And, you know, whether it's to do with the hairstyle or to do with a wrinkle and it's just kind of dishonest. It feels a bit dishonest. I do think generally it's not what people want to see anymore, though, is it? People are kind of have seen so much of that super airbrushed era that now 
yeah, you do just want to see people in all their natural glory. And if you look at things like the kind of models that are breaking through now and what's happening in the wider industry, I think it's reflective that, you know, the girls with the biggest Instagram followers and the ones who are the more popular personalities are now the ones in the Forbes list. And you've got Ashley Graham in there for the first time, a plus-size model in amongst the top earners. What was interesting at, um, at the McQueen, Alexander McQueen show back in September was that Sarah Burton had cast some normal-sized women in it. When I say normal, I'm sort of saying maybe 10, 10 12. That, that, isn't nor, that isn't the average UK size we know. But in the context of a catwalk, it, it was really interesting because what fashion likes to do is go to extremes. So it'll either have someone incredibly thin or if it decides to embrace plus size, it goes for someone who's very big. Uh, to see someone sort of... Um, uh, really just a, a, a size 10 or 12 with bo- real boobs that are sort of moving. It was so unusual. And Sarah Burton said to me the, the other day that she got more reaction towards those models than anything she's done for a long, long time. Um, and, and one of the things that people, even the sort of the front row watching, and, and when you watch many, many fashion shows, one of the bad things that happens is you become slightly inured to seeing very, very skinny girls. But even the front row was saying how sexy those girls looked in the clothes because their bodies did move and they had they had arms with flesh on them. So it sort of it's a sad it's a sad statement of, of how far removed from the sort of fleshly delights of women that we've we've got that when you see a size ten slash twelve model it looks interesting and new. A big shift that I've seen is that it's no longer the magazines that are pushing the agenda. It's it's the Instagrammers and it's the brands. Totally. I mean, and, and, and actually adverts. Adverts, adverts yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, Fashionista reported that diversity on the covers of leading US fashion magazines actually dipped in 2017. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Isn't that amazing? It's shocking. But also, I, th- I think that brands have picked up on this is a way to get attention. This is a way to get people like us to cover write about, talk about I what mean, they're what, doing. What, you know, just to go back to the power of... I mean, we've always known that, that adverts are, are powerful. But I think in the past, we used to like to pretend... Audiences li- like to pretend that they weren't influenced by advertising. Now there's... No one tries to pretend that. And, you know, I was looking... I was scrolling through my Instagram feed the other day and there were ads from everybody, from Dior to... Um, you know, Debenhams, I think, and they get hundreds of thousands of likes. And the fact that people bother to like something that's an ad is is very interesting to me. And it does suggest that, that the research is right that says that people don't care whether something's a paid-for placement or not. All they care about is whether they like it. So Lisa included an aside at the end of her story this week about Jimmy Choo, Michael Kors and Gucci all banning fur from their mainline collections. So do we think this is a pivotal moment for fashion? Well, I think it's a pivotal moment for the moment. (laughs) Because, you know, I I remember in the 80s when nobody really young wore fur. It It was for old ladies who were too rich, too thin, that kind of thing. And then it became very fashionable because these things come in in cycles and also because the big fur brands started sponsoring um, fashion colleges. And that's where it where it began. Plus, it had some very powerful friends on magazines who were who were promoting it. So yeah, it's going out of fashion. And the worst thing you can ever say in the fashion industry is, oh, it's not modern. And I think that's exactly what Gucci said about fur. 
let's see where we are in another 10 years. There's a young Israeli designer named Maya Reich. She's self-taught. She has a line called Marais 1998. It's on moda operandi. She has a faux mink coat that looks like the kind of thing you would feel very lucky to inherit from your wealthy grandmother. And she says that the quality of fake fur these days is just too much to turn down. That's interesting. Like, why would you, why would you want to use something real that involved the death of animals when there's such a good alternative, when the alternative is even more appealing than the real thing? Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And also, there's just so many brands, whether it's high street um, brands or, you know, designer brands, whether it's shrimps or whether it's something that Mango's done or whether it's, you know, something you picked up in Zara. They just all have these amazing faux fur options. Um, and some of them, no, they don't look real, but that's kind of part of their appeal, I think. You don't want to get on the tube in a faux fur coat and kind of think you might get red paint thrown on you. You kind of just want to wear a coat that's nice and warm. Which was a real fear for some of us, I think, at at Fashion Week, you know, those of us who would like to think it was obvious that we would never wear real fur were walking through very vocal, effective anti-fur protests to get into the shows. Yeah, I've definitely felt like that before. I'm I'm fervently anti-fur, um, but I do wear lots of faux fur because I just like the way it looks and it's warm. Um, but I often, when I'm getting on the tube or especially at Fashion Week, you kind of think, oh God, I hope people know it's fake. Do you, do you, do you, do you ever see that or hear that in London anymore? I mean, definitely, I, I had friends who would um, hiss at people in, in, in lifts um, if they were wearing fur, but not, not anymore. I feel like part of the point is that you almost can't identify between the two anymore. Like you say, the quality of the fur is so good that to, a, to an untrained eye, would you know on the tube? Sometimes, I mean, I have got a very trained eye for this, but sometimes even I... Um, if on the tube, I'll do this. I'll sort of see if I, if, I, if if it's very busy, I can sort of slightly uh, touch it in a non creepy, non Harvey Weinstein <laughs> way. Uh, because yeah, it does look it does look very um, convincing. I was in the showrooms where the designers set up during Fashion Week, and was talking to a publicist who was wearing this beautiful, fine gauge, you know, grey cashmere polo neck. Shame that it had a fur collar and cuffs. And she was saying, gosh, I really hope that they think that it's fake. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so just That's having, to, around, having to kind of fake when it's real is, is a change. This Wednesday evening, there's going to be a peaceful protest against period poverty in Parliament Square. That is a tongue twister. It's the culmination of a months-long campaign by Amika George, an 18-year-old A-level student from London, whose Free Periods campaign is urging the government to provide free menstrual products for all children already receiving free school meals. And everyone attending the march has been asked to wear, what else? The color red. Now, I can't say that we spend overly much time talking about periods in fashion, but this is another moment for color on a mass scale. What do you think it is about the politicization of color that we're seeing these days? It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've seen um, fuchsia pink, that the color that no one would have worn, um, apart from Katie Price, possibly. You know, the, it's suddenly this year it's become a political color. It's the color of, um, you know, the pussy power beanie hats that were uh, that were worn at the women's marches. Um, Hillary Clinton wearing white after her defeat. She wore white to the inauguration of her enemy. It's a suffragette colour along with purple. Yes, colours. I wonder if that's going to change um, the way we feel about wearing certain colours and whether we we feel that 
we can't wear them certain colours anymore. I don't know. It, it's definitely, it, it brings an added dimension to colour me beautiful, doesn't it? <laughs> colour me powerful, colour me political. Oh, gosh, colours that we can't wear because we are ideologically opposed. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Did anyone see as well the uh, the thing about actresses being urged to wear black on the Golden Globes red carpet? Is it in solidarity for the fact that there's just no racial diversity in the lineup? Is that what it's for? That would make sense, but that's not it. People like Meryl Streep and I think Mary J. Blige and Jessica Chastain, Emma Stone have all said that they're going to wear black to the Golden Globes to protest the sexual harassment scandals whirling Hollywood. There will be somebody who doesn't wear black because it's a great way to get noticed, even if it's the wrong way to get noticed in this particular instance. I mean, that is that is a cause that you cannot not support. <laughs> you can't, but it would, how tempting would it be to be the one woman in red? Well, you'd be supporting period poverty, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> For more on all the stories we've discussed today, take a look at telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashion and buy a copy of today's paper. And of course, please do subscribe to Fashion Unzipped whenever you listen to a podcast. That last news story leads nicely into the main part of the episode, a fashionable look back at 2017. Near the end of every year, we spend a lot of time combing through all the red carpet pictures from the year and revisiting the people and events that we couldn't seem to stop talking about. What was your top fashion moment of the year, Caroline? Well, there's been a lot. It's been a very busy year. I mean, we've had Pippa Middleton's wedding. We've had, you know, Macron mini skirts, all these things. But I think for me, Versace and that anniversary moment um, when the supermodels all came out in their gold chainmail was just really rock star, really nice. Olivia? For me, what really stands out is um, I think Cannes Film Festival and there's no like necessarily one moment um, but I mean Susan Sarandon in the leather skirt, uh, Robin Wright in uh, I think Saint Laurent was one look, maybe even multiple looks um, and these kind of like red carpet rebels I think we called them at the time um, and they kind of just threw caution to the wind and wore whatever they wanted to wear and and they just looked fabulous and slightly older women and, you know, the young crowd and they just looked amazing and that was, like, quite pivotal, I think. Susan Sarandon in Cannes went just completely for it, again, with the fact that it being the 70th anniversary. She had the sunglasses, she had the off-the-shoulder, she had the cleavage, she had the, the like, thigh-high split leg. I don't know how old Susan Sarandon is, but... If, she's in her 70s. She's in her 70s, right. And if... I look anywhere near as good as that. <laughs> Mission accomplished, yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite red carpet moments from this year was Rihanna um, on the red carpet at Cannes. Um, she was wearing a kind of um, wedding-like gown from by Dior um, and these tiny little shades. I don't know if you guys remember it. Um, and she just looked amazing. Um, I'm also completely obsessed by sunglasses and like little sunglasses and tinted sunglasses and everything. So that was a big thing for me. Um, and also, I just love the fact that she was wearing a wedding dress on the red carpet at Cannes. Like, I just love her unapologetic approach to fashion. And that was kind of a really kind of good representation of that, I think. If we've learned anything about Rihanna, it's that she does what she wants. Exactly. And we love her for it. <laughs> yeah. My favourite um, fashion moments were, I, I think, d don't don't take this the wrong way, but it's definitely been Melania watching. I just find it fascinating. The way she's using fashion, it's it's very, very literal. It's, it's very look back in anguish or something to Jackie 
Kennedy and hey if it worked for her let's try and make it work 50 years later um, I think she is in a really tricky position because lots of the designers very publicly won't work with her um, so she's sort of had to adopt this defiant well darling so I can buy it I don't need you to give it to me um, approach and she's kind of giving it all she's got I find it uh, just mesmerising the stilettos that she wore on the day that they were going to visit the Texas in the hurricane that was she was absolutely lacerated for that I mean she gets she gets hell whatever she does and yet beyond the sort of liberal newspapers there is this whole caucus of 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 people who absolutely adore the way she dresses she's selling clothes she is because she looks good in them I mean I think she can't no matter what she wears she's very elegant she's a very elegant woman I really think she can't win no matter what unless she could win if we ever get to see the Melania Trump version of a divorce dress oh yeah there will be there will be bunting across the globe won't there (laughs) There, that will be the prom dress to wear in 2021 or or whatever (laughs) my favorite style moment of the year Obviously Versace as well, but beyond that, I I was really moved by all the women's rights activists who wore red robes and white bonnets, Handmaid's Tale style, Mm -hmm. to protest uh, gender discrimination and infringement of reproductive rights in the U.S. It was just such a powerful, stark visual that, that completely chimed with pop culture, and you knew what it meant precisely the second that you saw it, and that was, that was a moment where what people wore really had power beyond people who care about fashion. Yeah. And what's interesting is that show, I don't think, would have had nearly the resonance it has turned out to have if if it hadn't been for what's going on uh, in America with women's reproductive rights and so forth and, and the general climate of, of um, you know, all the abuse that's come out. If if Trump hadn't got in, we would have looked at that show and seen it as a bit of a sort of um, futuristic kind of yeah. escapism. But it looked horribly, horribly topical. Well, instead, you have some people and who that say that clothes. it's a playbook. Yeah, exactly. A playbook for what they hope to achieve exactly. on, the, on the alt-right. I, the other... The flip side of that, of course, is watching the show, uh, given given the mood of modest fashion that came into the mainstream uh, in 2017, there were moments watching the show where I would pause and see, you know, the commander's wife in her high-necked, long sleeve tail dress and think, and is that Amelia Wickstad? Yes. <laughs> like, where can I get that dress? Well, Preen's done. Yeah. Preen's done a full bonnet and red dress look, didn't yes, they? But, they but, but I was at a dinner, a fashion dinner in the summer, and... Um, there, there were three of us all in sort of demure, greeny blue dresses, and somebody said at one point, "We are the commander's wives." <laughs> I don't know how that happened. We didn't mean to be, but it had seeped into our consciousness. It's a great color. It's it a very good color. <laughs> I mean, we also talk a lot about trends in our job, and there are some that we might herald and we might try. Sock boots. Lisa's wearing them today. Uh, and then we might keep them, or we might say, "Actually, I'm going to leave you behind." Um, trends that you hope stay in 2017 cushion bags it was a weird (laughs) thing that happened on the catwalk mother of pearl a few other places what was the point did you ever leave the runway though like did you ever see someone but but didn't celine start with those about three years ago they did those big puffy bags that did did go into production 
Um, I quite like the idea of when you're on a plane and you, God, you don't know where to put your head and it's either on the person's shoulder next to you or, hey, you've got this cushion bag. Maybe if they make neck cushion bags, we'll reconsider. I think so. I'm already there. <laughs> For me, it's yellow. I, I'm sorry, yellow. I, I gave you a shot. It was never, it was never, never meant, meant to be. be. Nope. No yellow. No thank you. I am going to be bidding farewell to overcomplicated denim. Um, I don't mind a step hem. I don't mind a bit of a frayed hem. But I'm not for these kind of weird deconstructed sort of longer on the side and shorter on the other side. (laughs) I just don't know what to do with them. And I'm a jeans fanatic. So I'm going to kind of keep it simple in 2018 with kind of like classic styles. Well, I'm waving toodaloo to um, statement sleeves. Goodbye, good riddance. I've draped you. I've draped you across many a bowl of soup. I have to and remember I'm Lisa it. right now. She's wearing a statement sleeve, and well, it looks I, marvelous. I'm not going to say I where it's from, it. but it's, it's. I love it. And the reason why I, I, I'm in a quandary because I've cut off many a statement sleeve, or I've got I've got my lovely alterations person to do it. But these the, the stripes on the end of these it's navy and white. What I'm wearing today, this jumper, and the navy and white stripes are right at the bottom of the sleeve. So. You know, I'm in a dilemma here, people. There are no soup stains on that. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> you could get it taken up and sewn on, but... Or you, or you could just end on the velvet wrist tie. That is that is an excellent statement sleeve. Mm. Okay, goodbye to that lot. But what are you all most looking forward to in 2018, Caroline? Frida Kahlo at the V&A. Yes. Bring it on, June. It's a bit of a while to wait, really, but... I'm well, excited. We can start channeling that look way before then. The jewelry, the flowers. I the call makeup. flower crowns. You can have unibrow. We're going to have to. I'm there because I was in Mexico earlier this year. I went to the Frida Kahlo house. It is amazing. You you feel you become Frida. I bought velvet floral top, handmade by ladies in Yucatan. I, I I've got the outfit already. That's such an unfair advantage. I think we <laughs> should all go. You all need to go to Mexico on a working trip. Um, I am looking forward to cowboy boots. Oh, God. Uh, I know. I knew that everyone was going to say that, but I am. Um, I recently bought, last week actually, um, an amazing old pair in New York. And I also bought um, a pair from Office, which are kind of slightly um, less scary and less difficult to wear. Um, and actually, if you similar to the sock boot, if you wear them under a kind of straight leg jean and have them kind of poking out the bottom they actually are really easy to but wear but how do they fit under a straight jean because then you can get narrow ones that kind of come up your shin a little bit not too high like the ones from office that I have um, and I've been wearing them tucked underneath straight leg jeans not skinny jeans obviously straight leg jeans and I love them I think this is one of those looks that I'm really pro in theory and then I put it on myself and I realize that I look like I'm dressed in costume as a 15 year old Taylor Swift um <laughs> Uh, but I also, I grew up in the South, so I had cowboy boots. I went to ranches. I went riding. I had muddy cowboy boots, like the real kind. And let me tell you, you would not wear those <laughs> under your work clothes because they were filthy all the all the time. But it, it is leading me slightly to want to revisit it. And actually today I was, I found myself looking at the website for Lucchese. Do you know Lucchese? No. no. This is the um, Texas-based, like, genuine western boot maker that all of the country stars get their concert boots custom made by like um casey musgraves has a white pair with arrows on it because her song one of her songs no one listening will know this is follow your arrow um (laughs) and i think they're like white snakeskin with you know arrow embroidery and they cost something like a thousand dollars real cowboy boots 
real, no cowboy boots. real like Dolly Parton style rhinestone cowboy boots. Mm. They sound amazing. I'm, yeah. I'm into those. I'm, I'm a little bit tempted. That's what you got? I got them in New York. Yeah. I went to an old Western shop and they were very expensive to buy new. So I bought secondhand ones, obviously. But um, they won't fit under straight leg jeans, but they are pretty amazing, I think. <laughs> With a nice asymmetric hem dress. Yes, exactly. A little handkerchief hem. Oh, line. my two least favourite things. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you won't be able to come to the square dance that we're going to have. No, no. <laughs> I, 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 I can find gingham. I can yeah, I gingham. Yeah, gingham. Gingham will do. If you'd like to see more from our fashionable year in review, pick up a copy of the paper or look at Telegraph Fashion online. Before we go, let's share something that we're all excited about this week. I am going to start, I'm going to Paris tomorrow to visit Chanel's embroidery atelier. And this is like fashion nerd central excitement time because I want to see where they do all of the embellishment and and how they make the boucle. And that's that's my day at the office tomorrow. So I couldn't be happier about that. I am going to see Matthew Bourne's Cinderella. <gasps> and I mean, what could be more... Happy holidays than that. I'm 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 hoping for you know, camp spectacle. It's so Christmassy. I'm going at the end of January because most of the tickets were already, yeah, sold out. You'll have to tell me how it is. I am excited about binge watching The Crown over Christmas because I haven't yet watched the second season. I've been waiting because I watched the first season in one weekend. I kind of want to do the same and just kind of eat it all up. So I'm gonna wait and I can't wait. <laughs> I'm excited to finish my Christmas shopping. I have one gift left to buy. And once that's done, that box is ticked and it's done for another year. What's that gift? It's a perfume for my sister. Oh, that's I hope hard. she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> How do you pick perfume? Or will you buy her something that she already has? I know what she wants, yeah. <laughs> Which they just didn't And you don't, you don't feel tempted to edit it mm. if you don't like it. Yeah, well. I mean, you've got to smell it. Exactly. She wouldn't thank you for a wild card, would she? No, she definitely wouldn't. Not with fragrance. I feel like people's fragrance is their personal thing so you don't want to get my rogue one that's it for this week we hope that you have very very happy holidays however you're planning on spending them and that you live up to your potential sartorially we'd love to hear from you so email us at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk follow and message us at telegraph fashion on instagram and comment on the stories but be kind please we <laughs> really please. do read the comments <laughs> yeah we do and please remember to subscribe. And uh, thanks for listening. Check back next week. Actually, sorry, next year. Next week we will all be at home. In uh, our sequins. In our sequins. That's right. So come back in 2018 for another episode of Fashion Unzipped. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.